This podcast is a production of Faith Living Church. If you like what you hear, join us for church sometime in our Plantsville, Connecticut location, Saturdays, 6 p.m., or Sundays, 9 and 11 a.m., or online anytime at faithlivingchurch.com. This is Mike Kane. I'm one of the assistant pastors here at Faith Living Church. And, um, you know, this week, so much has happened that uh, I could share, but I want to keep it under three hours, if you don't mind. But um, actually, I'm going to continue the series, uh, the revivals. How many of you are enjoying this series on revival? Revival here, revival now. Um, I really, it really has touched me, and, and I had a chance uh, two weeks ago, um, Pastor Ron shared about the strangler fig analogy. You remember that, the strangler fig and uh, it was, uh, he taught that, you know, there's, a, there's, this, there's this plant called a strangler fig, and these birds will, you know, transfer it to a, a healthy palm tree, and then sooner or later that strangler fig grows up, and it kind of chokes the life out of that palm tree. And that really, that message and that analogy, that object lesson, really touched me. And uh, after that message, that was two weeks ago, I... I I just gave a big hug to Pastor Ron, and I said that was one of the best messages about repentance that I've ever heard. And in 33 years of being a born-again Christian, I've heard a lot of messages on repentance. That, I have to say, was one of the best. And, and when I shared about the strangler fig, my, my, my voice, I broke up, and um, tears started to fill my eyes because it really touched me. And I just let him know how much I appreciated that message. And all the way home... That day, two weeks ago, uh, with my 14-year-old son, I, I had ears, tears, <laughs> tears in my eyes and, um, you know, just falling down my cheeks, and I didn't say a word. Um, but it really, really touched me. And then so I, he had asked if I could share last weekend, and, and actually I was away last weekend celebrating my 30-year anniversary. Thank you. It's my lovely, dear wife, Nancy and we had a chance. Our kids actually joined together. They chipped in, and they, um, they all put their money together and, and restored her wedding ring. It had broken over the years, and she had put it aside. So they, they put all their money together and uh, restored her wedding ring, and I gave it to her um, last weekend. We were away. So uh, that was kind of an exciting time. But uh, I was able to listen to the message on YouTube, and, um, you know, that Strangler Fig Analogy, it really touched me. And one of the verses that Pastor Ron shared was Hebrews 4.12. And it says this, For the word of God is alive and powerful. Do you agree with that? Is it alive and powerful in your life? For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, it, expo- it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And I just happen to have a two-edged sword right back here. Look at that sword. Incredible, right? Two-edged sword. The word of God, it says, is a two-edged sword. One side, at the same time, it encourages us. And it inspires us and it comforts us. But the other side of that sword, it convicts us of sin, does it not? 
It exposes the true condition of our hearts. It's a double-edged or a two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. It exposes us. It reveals the true condition of our hearts. That's what the word of God does. How many of you could say amen to that? Have you ever experienced the sword of the word on your own heart convicts you and exposes the true condition of our heart? And one of the things we're talking about conviction, we're talking about revival, but one of the essential aspects of revival is repentance. Everybody say that with me, repentance. In Acts 20, 21, it says this, I have had one message. This is the Apostle Paul. This is the Apostle Paul. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. I would have to say, if you look at all of history, probably the greatest Christian that ever lived. And he said this, I've had one message, not two messages, not three messages. I've had one message. Everybody say that. I've had one message for Jews and Greeks. And what that means, everybody that wasn't Jewish was considered Greek even if they weren't from Greece. So that's everybody. Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God, the necessity, there's no substitute for this. It's not optional. The necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith, the necessity of having faith in our Lord Jesus. This is the message that Paul said, this, he kept it short and sweet. This is my message. Repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the message God has called me to share. It is the gospel in a nutshell. Hopefully they're calling to find out about this message, about the gospel. Tell them the gospel. Repentance toward God. Faith in the Lord Jesus But that's what the gospel is, repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul said that I've had one message, both Jews and Greeks alike. It's about necessity. And this is, this for me, folks, a long time ago, I consider this my life verse. Does anybody else have a life verse? Would you say you have a life verse? Raise your hand, be honest. Raise your hand. If you don't, I want to encourage you, find out what your life verse is. This is my life verse. Repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the gospel in a nutshell. Matthew 9.13 says this. This is Jesus speaking. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is Jesus. He says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You see, because sacrifice is basically all about the outward appearance, putting on a good show, right? I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He didn't come to call the righteous, although there's no one that is righteous. The word of God tells us there is none righteous, not even one. All of us have sinned, and come short of the glorious of the glory of God. Amen? All of us have sinned. Not one is righteous, but there are some that think they're righteous through their works, 
through the show, through their sacrifice, through what people see. They're more concerned about what people see than what's going on in their heart. And Jesus said, I desire mercy, which has to do with the tenderness of our heart, rather than sacrifice, rather than the outward show. And it says, I did not come to call, this is Jesus, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And the same Paul that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament said this, it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. I am the chiefest of sinners, Paul said. The Apostle Paul, the greatest witness for Christ, the greatest evangelist, the greatest Christian that probably ever lived said, I am the chief of sinners. And how many of you, when you heard the gospel and were convicted about your way of life before you came to Christ, could say, could testify, could identify with that. I'm the worst of sinners. I'm the worst. No, I'm the worst. He said, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am chief. And Jesus said, I have come to call sinners to repentance. And Pastor Ron went over this over and over. He took a lot of time in explaining repentance. Repentance is going one way and doing a what? A U-turn, right? It's a U- Everybody say U-turn. Say me turn. Point to your neighbor. Say U-turn. U-turn. It's U-turn. We turn. We, we're going one way. We're following one way. We hear the gospel message. It, it it affects our mind because repent actually means to rethink. But we, we think about it. Wait a minute. The way I'm going is not pleasing to God. The way I'm going is I'm a sinner. I'm sinning. I repent. I turn. I ask God to forgive me. And then I walk towards him as my Lord and Savior. That's what repentance is. And Jesus said, I've come, I've come to call sinners, those who will willing to recognize that they're sinners, would admit that they're sinners to repentance. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. What promise did he make? It actually, what is, what is he coming back? Is he coming back? Amen? This is his promise. The Lord is not slack about his promise or is not really being slow about his promise to return. How many of you know Jesus is coming back? Raise your hand. He's coming back, amen? Jesus is coming back. He says, the Lord isn't really being slow. How many times, I've, I've talked to many people about this, and I've said, and they've said, you know, they've been saying that for years. They've been saying that for years. I don't know, is he coming back? I'm talking about churchgoers. Churchgoers. Coming back? They've been saying that for years. Why hasn't that happened yet? Thank God it hasn't happened for the sake of those that are not saved. Amen? And that's what he says. It says, the Lord is not really being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. Patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. Other versions, 
Virgins have, he doesn't want anyone to go to hell. hell. Hell was created for the devil and his angels, amen? But he says, all of us have sinned, and the wages of sin is death. That is eternal separation from God. That is what we get for what we've done and what we are. Not just what we've done, we are. We're sinners by nature. All have sinned. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. The Lord is not really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. So these are scriptures that just underlie the absolute uh, essential nature of repentance in our salvation. We repent of our sin, repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And after that message that Pastor Ron shared about the, uh, the strangler fig, I thought about uh, an article that I had, had read shortly after I became a Christian. And it was written by someone named Charles Finney. Has anybody ever heard of Charles Finney? Raise your hand. He was an evangelist, born in 1792, before Billy Graham, before Billy Sunday, before Dwight L. Moody, there was, there was Charles Finney. And how many of you, you know where he was born? You know where he was born? In Connecticut, believe it or not. The most, one of the most liberal states. Yeah, he was born in Connecticut. Yes, he was. Charles Finney, and he wrote an article. It was called, Break Up Your Fallow Ground. And if you're taking notes, even if you're not taking notes, remember that article, Break Up Your Fallow Ground by Charles Finney. I'm going to encourage you. Can I give you a homework assignment? Can I do that? Go home today, Google it, Break Up Your Fallow Ground by Charles Finney. Wonderful article. And uh, take your time in reading it. But that article talks about revival. Talks about revival. And it talks about the requirements for revival and how uh, some of the things that he points out are not just the sins of commission, but sins of omission. Not doing the things we should be doing, such as, such as neglect of prayer, neglect of Bible reading, neglect of or care or concern for brothers and sisters in Christ, indifference, indifference, not caring enough. To pray for those that are lost, those that are in need, indifference, ingratitude, unbelief, times when we haven't believed God, and lack of concern for the lost. And it was called Break Up the Fallow Ground, and it was, it was based on Hosea 10, 12, that verse. We're going to look at that in a minute. Um, but when we pray for revival, when we are, if we're serious, how many of you would agree that you, you want to see revival? Okay, about half of you. That's good. That's good. How about everybody? And we have to first say we want revival here and not just, not just say in greater Southington. And, and look at the events this past week, right? Did you hear about uh, Queen Street? There was, an, there was a homicide on Queen Street, and we heard about the, the police officers in Bristol uh, being ambushed, right? So you would agree, yes, we need it here in the greater Southington, Bristol uh, area, but more than that, we need everybody point to your heart and say, "Revival here, 
Revival right here. This is where I need revival. So this article by Charles Finney, Breaking Up the Fallow Ground, it's painful. It will be humbling to you. I guarantee it. And as I read it some thir- over 30 years ago, I spent the better part of a night praying and, and weeping, quite frankly, over some of the things that God was showing me about my life. Yes, I had given my life to the Lord, but I didn't, re- I didn't repent to the extent that this article you know, showed me. It was digging really deep into my heart, really showing the condition of my heart. In the 1940s, a group of missionaries in India began praying for revival. We began to become so desperate for revival that we read Hosea 10:12. First, God showed us that our life was practically prayerless, except for our routine morning and evening devotions. We became acutely aware of our need for persistent intercession. What followed was deep conviction of personal sin. One thing after another was revealed to us that had to come out, and it broke our hearts. And these were missionaries. Missionaries. They began to pray. And we're going to look at that scripture in a minute. And it began to work in their hearts. And it it says right there, it broke our hearts. And do you know what happened after after that event? Revival. Souls. Men, women, boys and girls came to know the Lord. And that is ultimately the goal of revival. Would you not agree with that? So let's look at Hosea 10.12. Let's look at it together. And it says this, Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap in mercy. And then it says, Break up your fallow ground. Break up. Everybody say that with me. Break up your fallow ground. This was written by the prophet Hosea. And I would also give you a little homework assignment. Read, there's only 14 chapters. Read the book of Hosea. And it, uh, what God instructed Hosea to do, the prophet, is he wanted, God, he wanted Hosea to marry a prostitute named Gomer. He instructed Hosea to marry a prostitute named Gomer. And the rest of the book, it's the uh, relationship between Hosea and his unfaithful wife, Gomer. And God said, this is going to be an illustration of the relationship between me, the Heavenly Father, and the nation of Israel. Because as much as I love them, as much as I keep calling them back to myself, they continue to be unfaithful. And how were they unfaithful? They were unfaithful by worshiping other gods. They didn't love God anymore. They didn't worship God alone. They replaced God with idols and it says there in the book that, it, that Hosea was like God the Father, appealing to his unfaithful wife, come back to him. And she kept being unfaithful, but God's love never, we sang about it this morning, he never fails. And his love for unfaithful Israel continued. And so in, verse, in chapter 10 and verse 12, it says, sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy. We know from Galatians 6, 6 that Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap, right? If we sow good things, we'll reap good things. If we sow righteousness, we'll reap mercy or loving kindness. Then it says, break up your fallow ground. Another version, New Living Translation says it this way. It says, I said, plant the good seeds of righteousness and you will harvest a crop of love. Plow up the hard ground of your hearts. 
Now, this is talking very, very specifically about our hearts, is it not? It says, plow up the hard ground. Now, fallow or hard ground must be broken up to receive seed and become fruitful again. And hard ground can become hard, how many of you know, by rain pounding and snow pounding on it. And I know in the, in the, um, in the business I'm in that sometimes when we, we do site work and we want an area to be really firm, we just let a good hard rain fall on it and it becomes very hard, almost like concrete. And how many of you know sometimes life can beat on us? Life itself, amen? Can beat on us like that rain falling on that once fertile ground, just like our hearts were once fertile. They can become hardened. Our hearts can become hard living in a sinful world if we're not careful. So how do we break up the fallow ground of our hearts? How do we do that? Through repentance. Through repentance. Again, I remind you, read the article, Break Up Your Fallow Ground by Charles Finney. Deep repentance requires deep thought and deep effort. and We need to think about it hard. But repentance ultimately brings revival. Amen? Now let me ask you a question. What do you think this is? Who's that? What? Wow. Very good. Tom, right? Tom, thank you. Excellent job, Tom. You're absolutely right. It's a rototiller. How many of you ever used a tiller? No, nobody? Nobody? A couple of hands. A couple of hands. Okay. Now, <clears throat> now, I was thinking about getting a plow up here, but I didn't, I didn't think I'd have enough, have enough room. Uh, but this is a rototiller. Can everybody see it? Let's see if I can pull it out so you can see it a little better. Right? So remember what we said about the Word of God. It's like a knife, right? It's like a sharp two-edged sword, right? So imagine that these tines of the rototiller are a knife. It's, and what, what are they design, uh, designed to do? To break up that hardened ground, right? Now, I could go and I could push this out on a once, uh, uh, you know, a field that was once very fruitful, but it has grown fallow or it has grown hardened, and I could push this out there and put it right in the middle of the field. All the ingredients are there to break up that ground, except what? The motivation, the power. The engine, we got to start the engine to get that, those tines moving, right? That engine, without that engine, it's not going to break up anything. You can just put it out there on a, on a hardened field and it's not going to do anything. All the ingredients are there. So just like that engine starts breaking up that fallow ground, that engine is just like repentance in us. When we repent, when we recognize our own failings, the things we haven't done, as believers that we should be doing, that's the repentance that breaks up that fallow ground, that hardened ground that's become hardened. It once was fertile. It once produced fruit. It once produced a crop. But it can't produce again until that ground is broken up. So that's what that tiller does. It breaks up the ground. But the key to it all, the key to everything working is starting the engine. Amen? 
And starting the engine is repentance. Starting that engine. Hosea 10, 12 says this, so with a view to righteousness, in the amplified version it says, so with a view to righteousness, that righteousness like seed may germinate, reap in accordance with mercy and loving kindness, break up your uncultivated ground. And it's for you to do it. And me to do it. Not for somebody else to do. They can't break up your fallow ground. You have to break up your own fallow ground. Look what it says in Matthew 13. It says this. Later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him. So he got into a boat. Then he, he sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath. The birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plants soon wilted under the hot sun. And since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on a fertile soil and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And then skip down to verse 18. Jesus explains the parable. Now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farming farmer planting seeds. The seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the strangler fig. Is that what it says up there? But could it say strangler fig? The message is crowded out by worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. Pastor Ron, two weeks ago, he asked, what is the strangler fig in your life? What is, the strang- what is strangling the life of God in your life? What is strangling the life of God in my life? What is more important than God, than worshiping God, than serving God, amen, than this life? But sometimes when we go through the motions, our hearts become hard. And we don't, sometimes we're not even aware of it. Until God speaks to us. What is the strangler fig in your life that is strangling the life of God and preventing you from producing this crop? Because listen to what it says in verse 23. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. And make no mistake about it, that is the desire for every believer in Christ. 
to produce a crop. Amen? And we're talking about souls. We're talking about men, women, boys, and girls brought into the kingdom through your life and through my life. And if we're not careful, the strangler fig can slowly strangle the life of God and strangle the the productivity of God's word if we're not careful. Hosea 10, 12, the second half of that verse says this, for now, is everybody say that with me, now, a little louder, now, one more time, now, did you wake up yet? Now, now is the time to seek the Lord, now, not later, not at some, not even reading about it in the past, But now is the time for revival. Here is the place for revival. Amen? Now is the time to seek the Lord that he may come and shower righteousness upon you. Seek the Lord. Seeking, what does that mean? To search with intent. We seek many things, don't we? What do we seek? Peace, security, relaxation, food, Pleasure, humor, things. We seek a lot of things, don't we? We seek them out. It says now is the time to seek the Lord. We need to have a focus. We need to eliminate anything that would preoccupy us, any distraction. Amen? We need to seek the Lord. Now is the time. There's an urgency. There's an urgency about it. Because when we seek him in repentance, asking him to forgive us, mostly of the things we haven't been doing as believers, that's when he will come and shower righteousness upon us. And how many of you want God to shower his righteousness? Just like those leaves this morning were being showered down. I want that to be God's blessings, amen? God's righteousness, and mostly that is that is, men, women, boys, and girls coming to know the Lord. Souls for him. First Chronicles twenty two nineteen says this. Now, seek the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul. With all of your heart. Seek the Lord your God with all of your heart. How many of you have kids? How many of you have kids? Even if you don't have kids, have you ever asked somebody to go look for something And they come back in five minutes and say, I can't find it. Does that ever happen to anybody but me? Happens to me all the time. One of my sons, he's not here today. He was here in the nine o'clock service. He's so I can talk about him. He's got a room full of socks. So I need, I need this person. He steals my socks all the time, all the time. Hope he gets convicted about it. And I said, I need these socks. I need these socks. They're in your room. I know they are. Comes back five minutes later. I can't find them. There's 20 pairs of socks on his floor, right? How hard are you looking? How hard are you looking? Are you serious about it? Are you, is it really your goal? So God asks us, how hard are you looking? How hard are you seeking the Lord? How hard am I seeking the Lord? Now seek the Lord with all of your heart and soul, all of it. 
Just like we are to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And we are to seek the Lord with all of our heart and soul, making time for him, cutting out. Oh, yes, we're all busy. We all got too much to do. That's all of our excuse, right? Just got too much time. We have to be serious about it. We have to do it with intent. We have to carve out that time for God. Psalm 14.2 says this, The Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God. Can you imagine God looking down the entire human race? He's looking to see if there's anyone that is truly wise. Here's the definition of wisdom. What is it? If there's anyone that seeks God. Don't you want to be counted among that select group of people that is seeking God? Raise your hand if you do. The Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if anyone is truly wise. If anyone seeks God. Oh, would to God that he would look down and find me seeking him. Amen? Isaiah 55, 6 says this. Seek the Lord. While you can find him, call on him now while he is near. Call on him. Now is the time. There's an urgency. How many of you know Jesus is coming back? No man knows the day or the hour, right? But it could be today. And would to God, let's, let's God revive us so that we live in such a way that every day, is that we're living like Jesus is coming back today. Amen? Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him. You have to go to your prayer closet. Or, or I like to go outside. Wherever you go to seek God, call on him. Jeremiah 33.3, God's phone number says, Call on me and I will answer thee and show you great and wonderful things. Call on him while he is near. Jeremiah 29, 13. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Again, sometimes we think we're searching hard, but we're really not, right? Sometimes we have to turn up the sensitivity of our hearts, do we not? Sometimes we can go days, even weeks, without really seeing God working. In our lives or in, in our daily lives. Does anybody know what this is? This might be. Okay. Any guesses out there? It's a box. It's a yellow box. That's good. Sorry? Oh, very good. Excellent. Yes, it's, it is a locator wand is what it is. This is used in surveying. It's used by... Quite frankly, it's used by property managers. It's used by site work contractors. And what this does, how many of you have city water? Do you know that in most city water connections, there is a house service connection with a shutoff valve that's in the ground? And it's called a curb box. And that curb box is made out of cast iron. That's the sensitivity. And so what you do, if you're trying to find that valve, is you go over the ground. But it makes it sound like that. You're getting close. Hear that? So that's what it tells you where that 
water shutoff is. And the deeper in the ground it is, the more you have to turn up. See, going on. The more you have to turn up that sensitivity to find it. And sometimes we have to pray, God, increase my sensitivity to you. Help me, Lord, to see you working in other people's lives. Lord, help me be sensitive to the leading of your Holy Spirit. Amen? So that I can see my neighbors, my coworkers, something's going on in their life. Something that I've been praying for would happen is happening. Help me be sensitive enough to see your Holy Spirit working so that I can partner with you or be a part of that. So sometimes we have to increase our sensitivity to the things of God. Amen? And sometimes life itself can make dull our sensitivity. How many of you know that? We can sometimes, you know, we can um, be too preoccupied with with just life itself, that we're not seeing God working. Amen? And we're not recognizing the work of his Holy Spirit. Psalm 119, 149 says this, In your faithful love, O Lord, hear my cry. Let me be revived by following your regulations. How many of you know obedience is the key to receiving Everything God intends for us. Amen? Obedience to his word. So we want to break up the fallow ground. We want to seek the Lord. And then the key to revival in us and the revival in here now is going to be us obeying his word. In your faithful love, O Lord, hear my cry. Let me be revived by following your regulations. Isaiah 127 says this, Zion will be restored by justice. Those who repent, those who repent and follow me, it says those who repent will be revived by righteousness. We will experience once again, how many of you know about the joy of your salvation, the joy of salvation, right? Being forgiven of sin, having the assurance That Jesus is your Lord and Savior? The joy of salvation? Sins forgiven, we are bound for heaven, never more to roam. But how many of you would be honest with me, willing to honest that in many ways you've lost that joy of that salvation? Would you be honest? Those who repent will be revived by righteousness. We will once again experience the blessings from God. If we repent and we'll be, we'll be revived, we'll be refreshed, we'll be restored. Ephesians 5.1 says this. It says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Imitate God. Does anybody know who Rich Little is? Any of the older folks? Rich Little? Do you know who Rich Little is? What does he do? He's an impersonator, right? So what does he do? He... he He impersonates famous people, right? And sometimes it's like perfect, right? Well, how do you think he does that? What does he have to do beforehand? He has to study them. He has to study their mannerisms. He has to study how they say things. He has to study them to be good at imitating them. So in order for us to imitate God, we need to study him. We need to be 
be quick with his word, to understand what is, to hide our, his word in our hearts, amen? To recognize God in everything you do, not just some of the things, everything. And I know my son, one of my sons, um, for at least seven or eight years of his young life, he would come out every morning, wake up in his PJs. Before he got dressed, he would look and see what I'm wearing. And he would go back and he would put the same thing on. He was imitating me because he loved me, wanted to be like me. I was at a funeral Friday, and uh, my father's absolute best friend of his whole life had passed away. They were friends for 80 years. Kid you not. 80 years, 80, actually 81 years. And uh, so many at the, uh, you know, at the funeral knew my dad. And it was a little humbling because they, when they looked at me, they, they thought I was my dad's brother. Let me say, let's sink that in. They thought I was my dad's brother. A little humbling, a little humbling. But it was because my mannerisms and how, and you know, just how I talked, how I smiled, those things. They said, I see, I see Al. When I see you, I see Al. But we imitate those we love, right? Imitate God. If you love God, you'll imitate him. Amen? Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Read, a Christian, Christian means to be Christ-like, amen? To be Christ-like. And that is the goal. Is it not for us to be Christ-like? And how can we be Christ-like if we're not reading and studying his words, spending time with him every day? And if you love him, you'll want to imitate him. Would you not agree? Ephesians 5.2 says this, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. Live a life filled with love. What do we talk about here? You know, loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love our neighbor as ourselves. Loving God and loving others. Amen? To make it simple. That's what it is. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God, Jesus Christ, God so loved the world. What is, what is it? John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God proved his love to us by sending his son to die for us. Amen? This was a sweet-smelling sacrifice, the sacrifice that would please the holy God. And mind you, God is a holy God. No, he's a three times holy God. Holy, holy, holy. There can be no sin in his presence. If we have all sinned and come short of his glory and the wages of sin is death, how are we ever going to go to be with God in heaven? If our sin is washed away, and how many of you know the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all of our sin? And it is the only thing that will cleanse us from our sin. So it says, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Verse 3, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Amen? Another version says it this way, but sexual immorality and all moral impurity 
indecent, offensive behavior or greed must not even be hinted at among you as is proper among saints. For as believers, our way of life, whether in public or in private, reflects the validity of our faith. Obedience is the proof of our faith. Do you know that? Obedience to his word. Being Christ-like. If we're going to be Christians, which means Christ-like, we have to be distinctive, live distinctive lives, different than the rest of the world. And all of these sins, immorality, impurity, greed, they're connected to greed or covetousness and are an absolute contrast to God's holiness and his love. So as believers, we are to be, live sanctified lives, set apart for the glory of God. Amen? We, they, people ought to look at us and say, there's something about them that's different. They don't go along with the crowd. They don't do the same things. They live a life distinct, different than the world around us. 1 Peter 2.9 says, we are a chosen generation, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people that we should show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen? He's called us out of darkness. We lived a life in darkness. Some of us didn't know it before Christ. But we were in darkness. We were headed for a place of darkness. Jesus said that hell, described hell as outer darkness. And if Jesus hadn't intervened in our lives, caused us to turn, repent, and put our faith in him, there'd be no hope. But because he did that, because Jesus did that, he has saved us. So our lives need to, need to be separate from the world, amen? Need to be, we need to prove the reality of our faith, amen? If we say we're believers in Christ, there's no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed even among you, such sins have no place among God's people. No place. Ephesians 5.4, obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes. These are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes. Have you ever heard a dirty joke? As believers, we don't need to join with the crowd and laugh along. We hear, we hear foul language, it seems like, on a daily basis. Do we not? First of all, the Bible says, let no corrupt bad language come out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, lifting people up, that it may minister grace to the hearers. God's grace. So our tongue needs to be tamed, number one. But if we hear these things, I pray to God we, we don't just go along with the flow that we at least show some kind of discomfort for hearing those things, whether it's in a workplace, whether it's in our neighborhood, wherever we are. Do we get uncomfortable when we hear foul language or dirty jokes? Or are we too shy to show disdain for these things? Are we too shy? Do we not have the courage? What did Paul say? He said, I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first, but also to the Gentiles, thank God. 
I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I don't hide the fact that I'm not a closet Christian. Pray to God that all of us would have that same testimony, have the courage to speak up if things are, are not the way, if we hear that kind of you know, foul language, have the courage to, and not, not with an attitude of you know, a self-righteous attitude, but, but let it be everything we do in love. It says that, right? Let a, live a life filled with love. Saturate everything I do with your love, God. Verse 5 says this. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. A holy God, a holy God does not tolerate sin. And these types of sins shouldn't even be hinted at among God's people. Because it says here, you can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person, those that habitually practice these things, those who have not experienced the new birth, those who have not repented of those things, that's what we repented of. It says, no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. And would to God, God, search our hearts. If there's anything that's an obstacle to you, Using me to further advance your kingdom. God, show it to me and help me to repent. Help me to break up the fallow ground in my heart. Verse 6 says, don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. God does not take sin lightly. He doesn't. He doesn't want us to take it lightly. For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Yes, you read that right. The anger of God Hebrews 12.29 says that our God is a devouring fire. And yes, 1 John says God is what? God is love, right? But he is a devouring fire. His word, so the same God that encourages us and inspires us and comforts us by his love, also convicts us of things in our life. It's a double-edged sword. His word is a double-edged sword. And if there's anything that's in our life, he's going to, that, that is not glorifying to him, he's going to burn that up. He's going to consume it. He's going to devour it. And that's what his word does. It says, don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins or make light of them, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Ephesians 5, 7 says this, Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. We are to let our light shine. Amen? Live as people of light. Don't participate in these things. If we say we are Christians, we are Christ-like, to participate in these things would be hypocrisy. Would it not? It says, don't participate in these things these people do. For once you were full of darkness. That's our life before Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Amen? 
You can't use the excuse, well, everyone else is doing it. God's word doesn't change, does it not? It doesn't change. It says, don't participate in these things. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. Jesus said, you must be born again. Yes, Nicodemus, he said in John chapter 3. You must be born again. Don't be surprised that I'm telling you this. You're a teacher of the law. You should know these things. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't be surprised that I say you must be born again. When we're born again, when we come to the Lord in repentance and faith, the Bible says we are born again. And now we are children. It says now you have the light from the Lord. After that happens, so live as people of light. We want to let our light shine. Amen? For this light, verse 9 says, within you produces only what is good and right and true. This is moral excellence of heart, righteous behavior, and truthfulness, meaning honesty and integrity. Other versions of this same verse have it say, the fruit of the Spirit. And how many of you know that fruit, that love, that joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness? And it it says in that chapter, Galatians 5, that if the Spirit is in control, these, these fruits will be in your life. This fruit will be produced in your life. And how many of you want the fruit of the Spirit? Amen? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It says, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. And all those things are good and right and true. And verse 10 says this, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. It says, carefully determine. Figure it out. Put effort into it carefully, not quickly, not, not in, a, in, a hush, in, a hurry, in a in a hurried way, but it says carefully determine. Find out. This is the idea of testing or proving to learn what is the clear and convincing will of God for your life. Amen? Carefully determine. What pleases the Lord. And thank God that he is working in us to to will and to do. That means to to give us the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Amen? Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. And that will take some time. It will take some thought. It's not something that happens quickly. So at at this time, I want to share with you a song that we used to sing. It's based on Psalm 51. Um, so we've talked about revival. We've talked about how to, to break up the fallow ground in our hearts. We've talked about the, the importance of seeking the Lord now. Amen? And we've talked about the importance of obeying his word. And like happened to me that, in that service two weeks ago with that strangler fig analogy. Let's all ask ourselves the question, is there any obstacle, is there anything in my life that is choking out, that is strangling the life of God? Is there anything in my heart? Is there any kind of idolatry? Do I I love things more than I love God? Has Has my love for God diminished in any way? So let's pray this this uh, song together. Or sing it, pray it. 
It's all the same, really. And how many of you know this song? If you do, please help me, because I cannot sing a lick, okay? But it's created me a clean heart. Psalm 51. Let's, let's sing together. Creating me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Creating me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and renew a right spirit within me. Does anybody remember that song? Yes? Who are the old timers like me? Created me a clean heart, amen? Search me on another... You know, another psalm says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Psalm 139. See if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me to the everlasting way. Amen? Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord. I thank you so much for your mercies that are new every morning. God, I thank you that your word is living and active and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It both... it, it comforts and encourages us and increases our faith, but at the same time, it convicts us and exposes the true condition of our hearts. We thank you for the double-edged sword, Lord, and I pray for my brothers and sisters in here. I pray as we look around us, as we consider what's going on, and even in our local area in Southington and Bristol, we realize how, how desperately we need your revival, Lord. And uh, we ask you to, to break up the foul, help us to break up the fallow ground in our hearts and expose those things, Lord, that are any obstacles to your, your spirit working in us because we want to be fruitful to produce 30 and 60 and 100 fold, Lord. We want to see men, women, boys, and girls coming to know you in our lives, through our lives, Lord. So we just ask you, Father, we invite you, we, we open our hearts to. To, that you would reveal anything in us, Lord. That you would consume it away, Lord God, that only that which honors you would remain. And as our heads are bowed, I would ask you to take a moment to just invite anyone who has never received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. If you are not sure that you're saved, if you don't know what, even what that means, if you don't even know what born, being born again means, I would invite you and I would encourage you to receive God's forgiveness even now. He calls us to repent of our sin, turn from it, and turn to him as our Lord and Savior. That's how we're born again. That's how we're saved. That's how we come into a relationship with the Lord. So as our heads are bowed, let's pray this prayer together. And I invite you, if you've never prayed together, please, please pray with us. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that you love me because you sent your only son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for my sin. He shed his blood to wash away my sin. And I am sorry for my sins, Lord. I turn from them 
And I turn to you and I receive you into my heart as my Lord and Savior. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead and he is alive and he offers life to me. Help me, Lord, to live for you and help me to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit every day of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen.